This week, I couldn't wait to speak with Tilly Woolness, founder of Tilly and the Buttons. We've been trying to get this in the diary for ages, but as all women will empathise, if you have a young baby, if you run a business, it's very hard to find an hour or so with a cup of tea and the ability to actually just relax for a second. But we found that moment and it was, well, what a moment it was. It was incredible to hear the story of how this business has grown over the last decade with creativity and craft right at the heart, but also how those two elements, creativity and craft, can bond a community across the globe if only you have the courage to believe in yourself and to go for it. I know you're all going to enjoy this one because there's some fantastic practical tips for those building a business and for us women trying to do it all. Enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Tilly. What a treat it is to speak to you today. You're the fabric godmother, bringing together a community of budding sewers everywhere and helping them learn a craft and making. Uh, Welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Oh, thanks, Holly. This is a real treat for me too. Oh, it's so lovely. We've had a couple of goes at this, haven't we? And both been ill, kids have been childcare. I mean, just basically normal working women issues, hasn't it? Just life, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people who says I don't get ill, I don't get ill. And I, I expect you're probably the same, but then, yeah, I did get ill. I couldn't speak. I thought, no, I can't do a podcast if I can't actually talk. <laughs> um, I've heard that you say that you fell into sewing. This is just really interesting because so many businesses that I speak to, you know, I'm always fascinated at that little, you know, the beginning, the acorn part of their journey. It was a happy accident. And although some would say, now researching you, you actually came from a whole family. You know, your mum was a knitwear designer, your great-grandfather was a tailor. And it all started, did it, with these pair of yellow Mary Jane shoes. Um, the sort of, the, the, the sort of, you know, the cultivating of the acorn. Were clothes a fascination for you, even as a young child? And were you creative? I was, yeah. I was, I was really creative child. I was always making things. Um, I remember, I still remember the feeling of getting butterflies in my tummy, just thinking about things like being able to do a jewellery workshop on summer camp or um, the time my auntie gave me a box of FIMO, or is it FIMO? Yeah. FIMO, FIMO. And I just thought it was the most 
precious gift ever and I was completely gobsmacked and couldn't even say thank you because I just couldn't speak I thought I was too excited um and I yeah I'd spend all my free time making things in fact with a lot of my time with the girl who lived across the road called Jane and I would play blue piece of presenters I would be doing craft demos <laughs> and she'd be filming me on an 80s camcorder and now Jane is a professional photographer and she's our photographer so we're oh basically doing goodness. what we did as children <laughs> for our playtime <laughs> <laughs> um, and she yeah she films me doing sewing demos and it's it's lovely but that yeah, the is as an well. unbelievable story isn't it <laughs> Yeah, I always love clothes as well. And the, the shoes you mentioned, I remember being obsessed with these these yellow shoes. And my what mom were these just... shoes? I don't know these shoes. <laughs> they were just this. Um, I just remember my mum taking me to a shoe shop when I was seven, and bless her, saying, "Which shoes would you like? You choose." And I picked out these yellow shoes with a strap, and I remember just the look of horror on her face. <laughs> but she let me get them, and. Yeah, I always loved clothes. She used to take me to the V&A to sketch the dresses and I was always sort of dreaming up clothes in my head. And as you say, my um, great-grandfather, he was a Polish refugee and he came over and started making coats in his back garden. And then my grandfather used to go and sell those coats in his van or he used to drive it down to Ridley Road Market with my mum and, and my uncle in the front helping out and they would sell those coats and then my mum went to fashion college and yeah for a short while she was a knitwear designer a very short while and that's probably why she didn't really want me to follow the same route right. that she did so she never actually taught me to sew I think she was a bit worried that if I did art a level and if I went on to art college um like she had done that I wouldn't be able to get a job because I was very arty but I was also very academic as well I was the first person in my family to get a university degree and I think she thought right you yes. go and study something you go and do that sort of thing you, you go and get <laughs> actually get a job yeah <laughs> and with, um, with proper people and yeah. leave us you know, clothes makers behind. But that's, I mean, it sounds like you actually brought up with making all around you. But as you said, you progressed in the education system. You then found yourself in a workplace, as many of us do, that almost wasn't about your hobby, wasn't about that. And actually almost like many people had your hobby sort of fall to the wayside and almost forgot how to be creative. How did you first come to sewing and what inspired you to turn your hand um, back to it? So t t take me through that little part of your journey. So yeah, so as you, as you say, I left that sort of side of me behind, that creativity, but um, I did actually have a career that I really enjoyed initially. I mean, very first job out of university, I had a brief stint in a marketing agency and I enjoyed the creative process of coming up with those promotional ideas, mm -hmm. but I just didn't believe in the products that I was selling. And what I really wanted to do at that time was to work in the world of film. I'd done a yes. master's in film history and um, I managed to get a job at the BFI, the British Film Institute, in their education department, and then um, worked there for a few years and went off, went on to an organisation called the Independent Cinema Office, where I was in charge of creating training courses for independent cinemas and film festivals um, all over Europe. And it sounds very different to 
what I do now, but actually there are quite a lot of parallels in that I was identifying skills needs and coming up with resources that would fulfil those skills needs. And then I was also working to help cinemas make the potentially intimidating world of art house films appealing and accessible to a wider mm. audience. And I feel like that's what we do at Tilly and the Buttons. We try and break down sewing and demystify it and make it appealing and accessible to more people. So I love my job at the time, but a lot of my job was just sitting at a desk, mm -hmm. typing on a computer. And I just remember sort of looking down at my hands, typing on the keyboard and thinking, oh, I just miss some doing something creative with my hands, actually making something. So I thought, oh, well, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll sign up for a craft class in the evenings or at the weekends or something. And at first I wasn't quite sure what that was going to be. Um, but one day I was in the cinema, uh, of course, I was always in the cinema, and I was watching <laughs> a film called Bright Star by Jane Campion, which is about John Keats's muse, Fanny Braun, who's this very accomplished seamstress. And the opening shot was an extreme close-up of a needle going through some fabric. And I just suddenly thought, oh, I like clothes. Maybe, I'm always drawing clothes in my head. Maybe I'll give that a go. I'll sign up for a sewing class. So this was 2009, so there wasn't actually that much around in terms of sewing workshops and things. But there was a workshop down the road for me called Oso oh Brixton. And I signed up for a beginner class and I made a dress. And I remember just falling head over heels in love with it and just thinking, oh my God, this this is it. This is my thing. I just love being able to dream up an idea in my head for a garment in exactly the fabric that I wanted, the style, the colours, and then taking a piece of fabric and working on it with my hands and seeing it come to life before my eyes and turning it into this 3D form. It's a very mindful process, mm. sewing or, or making anything really. And, and then being able to wear it and wear it out and people saying, oh, I like your dress. Where did you get, Where'd you get that saying, from? Oh, I made it. I made it myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously that you, even when you speak about it, people can't see you, but you, you've got such a sparkle in your eye telling that story, <laughs> you know, and this is the moment you found your diamond, the thing that you were going to shine forevermore for your whole career moving forward. So there's a lot of research that supports, isn't there, that this theory that um, craft promotes um, the increase of dopamine in our brains. And actually, scientifically, then, that means that crafting or doing something or making actually scientifically makes you happier. Um, tell me about this. Did did that literally happen in your life? Yeah, I think it did. It, it initially, the big revelation was that I was creative. I think as grown-ups, we often feel that we we just we're not creative people. We think that we're going to mess up and that as adults we're sort of we're told that we're supposed to do everything perfectly and not make any mistakes. And I think you just have to embrace the fact that making mistakes is part of the creative process, as just as it's part of life, and just get on with it. And mm. once you accept that, it just allows you to sort of let go and, and just reconnect with that childlike sense of creativity, that sense of fun and experimentation. Um, and I think that it just helps people to really feel empowered when you make something, you know, you can say, wow, I, I made this pair of trousers. 
what else can mm. I achieve? How else can yeah. I get involved in the world rather than sitting back as a passive consumer, you know, complaining about what's wrong with the world? What positive things can I contribute? How can I take control of my own life? And it, it definitely gave me a big boost of confidence. Um, I think it has a ripple effect through the rest of your life. And it might sound like a big leap from saying, oh, sewing changes your life. But I've had so many emails from people who say that sewing helped them build their confidence, become unstuck, get out of a rut or get through a difficult time in your life as well. Mm. You know, I've had experience of that firsthand. Um, When I've had miscarriages, I remember very clearly waiting in a hospital gown for, you know, the most heartbreaking surgery of my life and just feeling like, how can I get through this weight? How can I get through the rest of my life, let alone this? Um, And I took a knitting project with me. I'm not really a knitter, but I took a knitting project with me. I would have taken a sewing machine, but I don't think that would have been allowed (laughs) in the hospital. And I remember just thinking, okay, if I can make the next stitch, then I can get through the next few seconds. And if I can Mm -hmm. get to the end of the row, then I can get through the next few minutes. And then, you know, soon enough, I had this scarf and I thought, oh, wow, this has got me through these hours. And I finished with something that I've made myself. And it made me feel like, okay, I, I can have control of my life. I can, I can sort of take back ownership of my life. And it, I really feel like it does give people a lot of confidence and, yeah, feeling of agency in the world. What I find amazing, and, and firstly, I'm so sorry that you um, went through that, Tilly, um, is how many times I've heard people talk about craft as the what they hold on to in hard times, through grief, through, you know, um, people going through divorces, losing children. It's It's one of the most unbelievable things that it's actually just, especially if it's our career, it, it, it's it's something that belongs to us and that no one can take. And it brings us so much joy. And it is that sort of life raft, I suppose. And, and that's what people have said to me um, through this journey. And so it's, it's amazing that that can all come from crafting, from doing something with our hands. I, I also want to ask you, do you think that there's something about us women making our own clothes that's quite empowering as well? Because I know certainly f- from my own, you know, my own experience and all of our experiences, um, I can imagine that making clothes, you can make to your own body shape. You can accept your own body shape. You can, um, it's not something you're squeezing into. Um, a size 14 is, you know, epically big in one store and tiny in another. Is, is that something else that you've heard? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. You, and we always encourage people to start by taking their measurements to ignore what clothing size they are in the shops, because as you say, it does vary. And take your measurements and it doesn't matter what clothes size you are. Take your measurements and you can make something to your exact proportions. So, for example, I'm really short and I've got wider hips and smaller on top and and narrow shoulders. And I've learned that I can just make those tweaks really quickly to a pattern and cut it out, put it together, and it fits me. I don't have to fit into mm. a garment that's made for one particular set of proportions in a shop. And now I just, I can't buy a ready-to-wear jumpsuit or dress, for example, because it just fits in all the wrong places, something I didn't really realise before I started making my own clothes. 
I found before I sewed that I would buy so many clothes because each thing I bought wasn't quite right. It was it was sort of good enough, but it wasn't quite right. So I was always looking for the next thing. Yes. Whereas when you make something yourself, you buy less ready-to-wear clothing. You send less to landfill because the things that you make are perfect. They're perfect for you. They're perfectly you. So mm. you don't have to I'd, go shopping so much. I love that. I also love how I said epically big size 14s. I've never got into an epically big size 14. <laughs> I wish there was somewhere that had 14 and actually it was an 18, but you just could wear a 14. Um, tell me about your blog, because I know that you went to London College of Fashion after taking some introductory sewing classes, but I read that you never thought about starting a business, but it was in 2010 you started writing this blog. And I'm so interested in your whole blog experience because I think that there is a lot of people who are listening who would love to do this. Um, I know, and I'd love to talk to you about how time consuming it is because it isn't, (laughs) is it? Don't think of this as a sort of a a quick win. Um, Mm -hmm. It really isn't. What was it that you wanted to do with the blog and how did it come about? So it started out completely as a personal hobby blog. So I'd just done that first sewing course that I mentioned earlier and I was just bursting with excitement for this new hobby. But at the time, none of my friends sewed. It wasn't something that people of my age were really doing very much. It was about 2010, was that right? Yeah, 2009 to 10. Yeah. But I found these blogs where people were geeking out about sewing patterns and fabric and stitching techniques and they were sharing knowledge and it was very, very community-focused and friendly at the time and they were spurring each other on to keep making things. So so this was 11 years ago. So um, my boyfriend at the time, my ex-boyfriend, dared me to start a blog to join them. So I thought, okay, I can, why not? (laughs) So I remember just going, fine, I'll do it. Opening blogger, looking down and going, okay, I need a name or Tilly, that's my name. Uh, Oh, I'll do Tilly and the Buttons because buttons sewing, buttons keyboard blogging and it sounds a bit like my 60s girl group backing band. Um, So that's how it started. So I just thought... So the branding, how how many minutes... (laughs) Uh, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Brilliant. So you've beat Julie Dean, (laughs) who on this podcast said it took five minutes. Okay. So you're now, do you know what I mean? It's a bit like Top Gear, you know, with the, is it the Stig or Sting or whatever he does racing? You have now won. Okay. 30 seconds. If anyone can beat that, please write in. um, And yes, we'll hear your story. But carry (laughs) on. One of your rosettes. Yes. Okay. Um, (laughs) It's on its way. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So that's how it started. And I, just thought oh maybe a handful of people will hopefully read it maybe I can make friends with these people online who have other blogs and yeah the last time I checked six million people from all over the world have read it I think like 25 million times something like that so unbelievable my goodness (laughs) so I didn't definitely didn't start out with any sort of grand intentions it was just a place for me to share what I was making to encourage me to stay motivated with sewing but also to connect with these other people online the photos were initially very amateur you know very shadowy lots of flash taken at night after work in my kitchen they're all different sizes but then I think something changed because I just kept hearing the same story from people who read my blog, but also from friends 
people people sort of around my age saying, oh, you know, I'd love to get into that as well. I'd, I'd love to make something, be able to make my own clothes. But, you know, sewing patterns, they're so difficult to follow. They're, they were just aimed at an older generation who knew how to sew. Mm-hmm. And people of my generation hadn't been taught to sew at school. Our parents certainly hadn't taught us. Whereas these resources were assuming that you understood the jargon, that you could understand all the technical diagrams. And I thought, oh, this is really sad. I want more people to get into it. I want more people to discover how much fun it is to make something. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just start a little blog series called Learn to Sew and I will write it completely for the beginner from a beginner's point of view and no jargon yeah no jargon how to thread the sewing machine how to use a pattern make it all very down to earth and fun and irreverent and that blog series I think is what really helped my uh, audience figures to grow to seven figures pretty quickly so much so that a lot of people would sort of say oh can you tell me all your SEO secrets and I'd be like oh I'd What's SEO? What's that? <laughs> I just They just hate you a little bit more at that yeah. point in time. <laughs> yeah, I was just focused on making content that I thought was going to be helpful to people. And I think that is that is the biggest SEO secret, really. Just that's what keeps yeah. people coming back. Authentic. More, exactly. Tell me about how you, you've referred to it as a five to nine occupation, um, writing in the evenings, weekends. And I know from my own yeah. experience, you know, I write a lot um, for Holly & Co generally. Mm. And content, I mean, it takes a long, long time. And I don't think people quite realise. Do you think... Do you think people realise actually how long these things take? No, it's, probably it's, not. Because it, 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 it looks, because you can consume it so quickly. We can consume so many things, can't we? It's all free. We just click onto Google, type in anything, and there you have it. But yeah. actually when you're the author, it, 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 it can take time. How do you plan it and have, how have you worked it into your life? So it's very different from the early days to where we are now. So in the early days, I would just come home from work and sit down and just make sewing tutorials and you know, take the photos, write the blog posts, um, actually make the thing as well, which takes time preparing all the pieces, um, upload everything, do the editing. And and it would take a long time, but I was completely obsessed with it. And I had a lot of free time at the time. I didn't have kids then. Mm -hmm. So I was able to do that. So yeah, I didn't really have much of a social life, to be honest. I just, I, I just made friends? this blog, but what, I loved it. Um, the internet, my friends. Um, but I just, I loved it. I found it so fulfilling. But now it's completely different because I've got a small team of people who I work with. So to be honest, they do most of the work now. <laughs> um, mm. We write, I mean, I still write a lot of the content. I wrote a lot of the instructions um, with help from the team. But now we have, you know, professional photographers. But you can spend a day just preparing the materials yeah. for the tutorial that you're going to sew. And then it's maybe taken six months for us to make the pattern, pattern. in the first place. Then we've we've got, you know, videographers who then will spend a week editing something, um, putting it together for our YouTube channel. It it takes a long time, as it, you say. And and do you think that that's because I've heard, um, you know, bloggers can burn out basically because they potentially they're doing like you did right at the beginning everything and are unable to scale 
the volume of readers, et cetera, et cetera, to make this actually a business. What would you say are your learnings from those beginning days about how to not burn out? What, what's, what's good to focus in on? I, I think your point on staying focused in what makes you inspired is a really good one. When you're just doing it and you don't actually necessarily feel it, people can tell, can't they? I've always found that interesting. People can really tell when it's not your energy in what you write. Yeah, and I think the word energy that you just said is really important. Something I realise is that it's less about managing your time and it's more about managing your energy. So Mm. thinking about what is it that ignites that fire inside you? Is it surrounding yourself with other makers and positive people? Is Is it listening to podcasts like your podcast that can really sort of invigorate you and get you going? Is it just sitting down and cutting out some fabric? And what are those things that keep you inspired yeah exactly yeah I've never thought of that actually think about your energy and not your time because I think that that's us small businesses that's what we tend to don't we 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 tend Mm. to focus on the tasks and the time and the dividing rather than filling those moments throughout the day with things that fuel you as an entrepreneur and founder exactly because you can have all the time in the world but you really need that energy to be able to get something done and and yeah let's be honest get something done really quickly because you've got 50 million (laughs) things to do so you just need to do it really quickly and coffee as well and coffee coffee helps and coffee (laughs) Uh, quite early on in your journey and um, this must have helped in 2013 you took part in the first series of the great british sewing bee (laughs) what was that experience like and Seeing as it was the first series, I mean, I can only imagine the pressure. I went into it knowing I am not the best amateur sewer in the world. I'd only been sewing two years, I think, when I did it. I was a bit rubbish, but I was like, I just want to be part of something fun that I can tell my grandkids about that's going to hopefully get more people into sewing, which it definitely did. Um, so I'm just going to have fun with it. And in all, you have about six months of auditions and... Uh, one of them is sort of like a bit of a mock-up of the show where they film you and you have to be able to talk to the camera as you sew because there were a lot of people in that room who were great sewers, but they couldn't talk to the camera at the same time. Yep. And I think I went into it knowing what they wanted and knowing that you have to sort of make some dramas. You have to... Well, your your film <laughs> industry background might have helped. Yeah. Exactly. You've got to make it fun and exciting. And so, yeah, so that's what I went in to do. But yeah, the pressure is is real. It's, it is really hard um, to sort of sew with someone constantly interviewing you about what you're making and what you're doing. It, it must have been an amazing platform for your business. I mean, that you quit your day job, is that right? Yeah. To then start working on this full time. That's right. Yeah. I I did it very gradually. It wasn't sort of one moment when I was like okay I'm out of here I'm going to take the plunge it was I did it very gradually so as I said earlier I was working evenings and weekends on the blog then I started making the sewing patterns because um, I felt like oh there really is something here with the blog and I want to just how can I help more and more people to get into making things so I decided okay well I just need to rethink sewing patterns for the new generation of crafters I'd started by um, cutting down my job to part-time and just thought, I'll just test the waters. And I remember my boss saying to me, 
oh, well, why don't you just go part-time for six months and then you can come back full-time? Which was really nice of her to give me that safety net. But also that sort of spurred me on and made me think, right, I've got six months to make this work. Yeah, because she thinks I'm going to fail. She thinks I'm going to fail, bless her. So I've got six months to make this work. I'm going to start selling these patterns in my spare time. And they started to make money. People were asking for more. And it got to the point where I had, I was making enough each month to cover my salary. And then I got my first book deal and I thought, okay, it's now or never. This is the time to do it. Um, But I am a very risk averse person. So I still sort of had a plan B as well, which was I'd been headhunted to be a management consultant of all things for for charities. Um, And I thought, I can can do that any time. That'll be my plan B. I'll go back to that if all else fails. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's when I handed in my notice and focused on writing my first book and, yeah, just never went back. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. Every week, we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey, covering a huge range of topics. Here I am talking to Jack Laverick and Andy Poplar as they reveal their secrets to successful collaborations. Are you asked often to do things that might not be right? And and when do you know it's not right? Yeah, potentially. I mean, if it was something that I felt wasn't really right for me, I would probably go down the route of doing wholesale, where I would put someone else's design on my work but it would be their brand, essentially. There's a difference between a collaboration and a commission. Like, you get people asking all the time, saying, could you do a load of these for us with these with this on it? And that's kind of more a commission, where a true collaboration is that bringing together of two creative sides to create something new that wouldn't have existed without either of you, if you see what I mean. I've got, you know, like, what could you bring to this? What could we make together? And I think the product at the end should be a thing of it exists because you two came together to make it. For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram. You can also visit holly.co slash hub for my business advice hub, a free online resource thanks to Dell Technologies filled with content from myself and some of our small business community, sharing lessons from our journeys to help you navigate yours. And with a continued commitment to empower you, every week Dell are giving away one tech in a box. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co slash get involved with thanks to Dell Technologies. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I'd love to just take a moment because I'm so not a sewer, but am I right in thinking that you were one of the first people to do this, to to embark on making sewing digital? You know, because actually, was it that you used to have proper patterns that you would go and buy? So I wasn't the first, but I was definitely one of the first. first. And I think that whole digital movement gave people like me the opportunity to start small with the business where you didn't have to print thousands of each pattern initially you could just start small and test the waters so yeah so you're right in the olden days you would walk into John Lewis or Liberty and you would pick out a pattern from a big sewing brand you'd open it up and inside 
there would be some very, very minimal instructions with some technical diagrams and it would just assume that you would know what to do. It would say something like, understitch the facing and you'd be looking at it like, uh, what? <laughs> so yeah, so our patterns are very different. We've just completely rethought them for a, a new generation of makers. So first of all, they are very colourful and inspiring. The designs of the garments are gorgeous. Um, we use real people as models. Uh, we use a lot of our, the sewing community on the front of our patterns as our models. The instructions are full colour photos so you can see what the project should look like as you're making it, which right. is great for people that don't really understand diagrams. We also translate all the technical jargon. We don't assume that you understand what everything means. And then also the pattern pieces themselves, usually you would, if you're a beginner, you'd open up a big pattern sheet and look at just all these shapes and wouldn't have a clue about how it came together just by looking at the shapes but we label the seams so you can see oh that's the armhole oh that's the waistband and that joins the skirt and it just helps you to sort of get a sense sort of, of how picture the shapes, it and actually yeah, put, how it, it comes together. put it together exactly and then plus we have a lot of online support as well so we have loads and loads of free tutorials on our blog we have lots of videos on our youtube channel so we hold your hand through the entire process and we also have a series of online sewing workshops so you don't have to you know book a day off work or get childcare and travel to a sewing school to to sit and learn how to sew you can just sign up to one of our courses take it from the comfort of your own home whenever you like as many times as you like you know in the evenings or you can binge it at the weekend whatever you want to do and anyone around the world can mm. be part of that fascinating and do you think that you know because you've got hobbies of past which are now as as you know and have been making a resurgence it's important that we allow digitization of these elements is that right to basically keep these um skills alive to keep them accessible so that you're as you said i mean certainly so many businesses and i'd love to know how your business did during lockdown but you know you were already very much a digital business and so many other businesses have now had to take that leap and i i know that they're very very thankful for having done that tell me about how this past time has been for you over the last 18 months so the first month of the pandemic of lockdown was quite a scary time for us as a business because our office had shut we weren't able to send out any physical orders so no printed patterns to our online shop customers or to our stockists either we weren't sending out books um and I remember just looking at our online shop orders and feeling like oh no everything I've worked for for 10 years is just going down the drain and just Feeling really shaken up, as I know a lot of other business owners would have felt. But after that, things just started picking up. Luckily, our office manager lives just around the corner from the office. Our building had opened up again and said, oh, OK, actually, you can go in. Um, and she said, well, I can, I'll can. i walk in. I'll go in twice a week and pack the orders because the person who usually packs the orders lived three train rides away. So we we're like, right, right, you're not going in. So Kate was like, I, I can do it. And I was like, that's amazing. So she did that. We just started sending out only UK orders. But we also, as you said, had these digital products. So we have PDF downloads that people can download automatically, print out on their 
home printer, sit together, or they can send them to a pattern printer or a copy shop and get them on full-size sheets. Um, We had a lot of online resources, our YouTube channel. We have got quite a big social media following. So we started doing a lot more videos and sew-alongs and things on that. All very sort of DIY. I was, it was back to me on my own. You know, I didn't have my videographer anymore. I was just, I had my phone, which was, which was amazing actually. And it, it was just incredible that I could just sort of prop my phone up, film myself in my spare room, just showing people how to sew a pair of trousers and then edit it on a little app that I, a free app I found online and stick it up on Instagram and people could join in with that. And it was incredible, really. We were, we were very fortunate that we were able to make the most of that time. And actually, we were one of the businesses that really thrived during lockdown because everyone's at home. No one's yes, going out. I was thinking, I was wondering if you were going to say that. Yeah, people. a lot of people turned to sewing. I remember hearing that sewing machines had completely sold out or I think it was beginner sewing machines had completely sold out in the UK for a while there was definitely a shortage of elastic I remember that because everyone was making face masks (laughs) Um, yeah so we we did pretty well luckily and being online was a huge part of that and 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 I can imagine you were relying on your community that you'd built you know that this was the time we speak a lot about it or I do um about the power of community and I think Mm. you know I think about Holly and Co and put simply it's a small business community that's that's what it is and actually everything I do relies on the community they're my consumers even though they're not really buying anything they they're they're part of the movement and that's what you've also done tell me about Mm. building this community and it's I don't know if it's like this for you but for me I've I don't feel alone um in building my business I mean I have my team it's and of course you have your team Mm. but actually I feel very connected to the bigger team, the wider team, the community, and that everything I'm doing is really to service them. You must feel the same. And and how how have you felt that power of your community? Exactly. I mean, they are just everything to me. They're, they're absolutely everything f- to the business. When I started off, I started the blog because I wanted to join this online sewing community. It's like a sort of modern day sewing circle where people are yeah. helping each oh, other. That's a nice but from, idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but from the comfort of their own homes, they're sitting there helping each other with sewing techniques and encouraging each other, saying, Oh wow, I love your your coat that you made. That's great. How did you do the lining? And people saying, Okay, let me show you how to do it. So that was where it all came from and then I felt like okay I want to get more people involved in this community and bring more people in I don't want it to be cliquey so that's why I started doing the learn to sew tutorials and making our sewing patterns very beginner friendly very accessible and inspiring to get more people involved and then the online sewing community has just it's grown enormously it's huge now and there are all sorts of sort of fun challenges and parties and initiatives that go on online, bringing people together from all over the world. And it's really our community that have helped our business grow because, we, you know, we don't have a big marketing spend or anything. Mm. The way people find out about us is because someone makes something with one of our patterns. They're so proud of what they made. They take a picture of themselves in their new dress, put it on Instagram. Tag you in. Tag us in. You know, another hundred people see that find Mm -hmm. us and Mm -hmm. that's how it 
spreads through word of mouth marketing, but online. And it's incredible. I always say that, you know, we we just make the template for someone to make. You know, the, the sewing pattern is mm. basically a template and it's those individuals at home who inject their own design ideas, their own sense of creativity. You know, they choose what fabric they're going to use and they, how they're going to style it and it's what they bring that's really exciting. And I just, I absolutely love seeing what people make with our patterns and and how they take something that, that we've just sort of offered and make it their own. Is it an interesting part of, um, if you think about it, the business model that you have, which is, the participation from your client or your customer is as important as what you do, but almost allows that entire, you know, spend that you would have to spend on marketing to be free because actually the the customer not only participates and contributes in, but then does that word of mouth for you by spreading what they've created and attributes that to your brand. And I think that that's a really interesting way for people who might be listening to think about how, how can their consumers or how can their community become involved within the business and take some take some ownership of it? You've been building this now for how many years? Well, the blog started 12 years ago. Um, right. but And then it was a very sort of gradual evolution into a business. So for 12 years, you've been bringing up um, your business baby. I know you've had a second real baby in April. Mm -hmm. So um, thank you very much for um, creating the childcare for you to be on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But tell me about you as a businesswoman and your growth um, over these last 12 years. So I think when I started out, one of the issues, let's say, that I had was that I was a real perfectionist and I would you know, not show my workings. I just wanted everything to be perfect before I put it out into the world. And I very quickly learned the mantra, imperfect but published, that you have to actually get stuff out there in order to be able to do anything. But also it's Mm. getting something out there into the world that allows you to get the feedback, to test the waters, to see if something is going to work or not. And then to iterate and to change it and to make it better. And that's what, that's how I, I look at my business, really. It sort of started off very, very DIY. I don't really want to say completely amateur, but, you know, very DIY, yeah, yeah. doing everything myself, but just getting things out there, getting out Dim these lights in posts. the kitchen after work. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, yes. The flash, yes. the flash. <laughs> getting these blog posts out there and just gradually, bit by bit, making it better. And, you know, I a lot of people will say like, oh, I've got this business idea, but I need to get investment and I need to get an office and I need to, you know, make it perfect before I can have this big launch. Um, and I just think, no, you just you just got to get on gotta with it. Go. You just got to get it out there and see what people think of it and see what you think of it, what works, what doesn't, because it's not until you press publish, you hit print, you you know, send something out, put something on your online shop that you're going to find out whether it works or not. 
Every week, Royal Mail helps small businesses deliver across the UK. With a staggering 74% of online shoppers more likely to use a retailer if they use them, Royal Mail helps small businesses thrive. As a central and crucial pillar within the small business community, Royal Mail continue to be dedicated to supporting our UK small business community and therefore I'm thrilled they are giving away their ad break space to a small business founder every week, providing them with the opportunity to showcase their business to tens of thousands of listeners right here on this very podcast. If you'd like to take Royal Mail up on their generosity, then head over to at Royal Mail Business to find out more. So let's hand over to this week's Royal Mail Independent Ad Break winner. Just the other week, I took my young daughter to the beach for the first time in a long time. Once we'd made numerous sandcastles and splashed in the sea, it was time for good old fish and chips. That first crunch of a piping hot chip the smell of vinegar, the sound of the salty sea lapping and those ever encroaching seagulls as she excitedly put chip after chip after chip into her mouth giggling with pure delight. And in that moment, it took me right back to my childhood, huddled up under a blanket on a chilly beach scoffing fish and chips with my mum, memories we both hold so dear. My name is Victoria Eggs, and I design and create hand-drawn homeware inspired by snapshots of special moments in time we wish to cherish forever and gift to those we love most. Find my products in stores and online at victoriaeggs.com. Celebrate a special moment today with a gift from the heart to the home. And if you'd like to take Royal Mail up on their generosity, then head over to at Royal Mail Business on Instagram, where you'll find a whole host of tips and advice on how to create a winning ad. Good luck. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. You've grown a team now, haven't you, as well, that yeah. support you, and I'm sure are supporting you on maternity leave and if you yeah. can call it maternity leave. I don't know if any <laughs> founder can really call it maternity leave. Um, tell me about growing that team and how you found that. So that, again, was a really big evolution for me from going from doing absolutely everything myself to starting to think, now I need some help and I really have to let go. Um, I sort of always want everything done exactly as I envisage it, but I've learned that it just can't happen that way. You've just got to trust other people. You've got to start delegating. There's a great book that I would recommend called The E-Myth, which is something like why most small businesses fail and what to do about it. Oh, right. And it's, it's about exactly that, like just trying to do everything yourself and how it's that's just never going to work as a business and you need to train other people to do the things and then let them get on with it. Um, so my first hire was, I started very small with a part-time person called Laura. She was amazing. She came in and I think she started helping doing orders, but then she just took up loads of things. She was very hardworking. She was always happy to do anything. And that just gave me a little taster of what it'd be like to have some help. Then I think I hired a second person to help with marketing. Then I had 
a professional pattern cutter, so I didn't have to do that bit as well. And then bit by bit, just started building up the team and letting them get on with it. And and actually, it's I just love seeing what other people bring to the business, and they've really helped it to grow. They've helped to imagine it in a bigger way. They've just bring such um, creativity and camaraderie. And you know, if I'm haven't been sewing for a few weeks because I'm looking after the babies, I'll just say to them, oh, what are you wearing in your Zoom meeting? And they're, they're wearing these amazing things or they'll tell me about the latest fabric drops and what's going on in the online community. And, and yeah, they keep me inspired and motivated. Oh my goodness. How many people do you now have? So there's six of us at the moment. It must be, and it must have been a help. How have you found having two minis and <laughs> running a business? Uh, well, they, you know, they real, must have helped. Real talk. So you're, yeah, yeah, real talk <laughs> here. Real talk. The team has really helped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you, as you said, you've, when you have a baby and a business, you, you can't really take maternity leave. I have been attempting to take it this time. Okay. But the reality is, as a small business owner, you just, you can't ever switch off. You can't you know, nap when the baby naps and all that, you do have to run on three hours sleep a night and because there's always things that come up, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, some Brexit tax issue or some HR thing, someone's leaving, you've got to recruit. You know, there's always something yeah. that needs your attention. I'm still very much involved in the production process, so I'm still, like, checking every single detail of a sewing pattern, the instructions, the technical diagrams, all of that. Um, but, you know, it's it's a phase of my life I feel incredibly fortunate that I've got small children and a business. I just love having both of them and I find my running my business really fulfilling and I obviously love spending time with my children. Um, it is a struggle, but also I, I bought myself a print recently. The, um, do you know Basil and Ford? Yes. Oh, yes. And, yeah, one of them it says, stop and smell the roses. And I've put it. I've got it. Just at yeah. the top of my stairs. Have you got that one? It's gorgeous, yeah, isn't it? I've put it at the top of my stairs. Thing. Just to remind me to slow down this year because, you know, I've worked so hard on this for over a decade and I've never slowed down, not even mm. at the weekends. I'm always working towards the next goal. And... I'm really lucky that I've got the business to a point now with the team, with great cash flow, with lots of products where I can afford to slow down yeah. for a little bit while my children are little, spend time with them. You know, I don't I don't want to put them in full-time childcare. Um, I want to spend lots of time with them while they still want to spend mm. time with me. And do. And 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 it's that that's such a great piece of advice for those listening, which is Otherwise, what are we doing this all for? You know, mm. if we've been building, for those listening who might have been spending, you know, spent a decade or five, seven years on their business, and there is this moment in your life, isn't that the whole reason that you have created this business is so mm. that you can make some of these choices? And it's why we've called it the good life companies, you know, rather yeah. than an SME or a small business, you know. We create good life companies because our aim, we don't get it right all the time, is to have <laughs> that, you know, the aim is the, the the sort of the happiness level that we're going for is having yeah. a profitable, growing business that inspires mm. us. 
balance with a family and spending time with them and, you know, pursuing crafts or hobbies, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Well, that's why I got the print because it's so easy to forget that and just to be on that treadmill of working, working, working to just to sort of get the essentials done and firefight issues. But then also you want to reach for that next goal. You know, if you're a creative business owner, you're always always with ideas. You've never finished you no, know, sometimes know. I'll, don't you I'll wish you could? Don't you wish oh, there was just a finite yeah. to do this for I the rest of Tilly and, and Buttons? That actually, if you got to level, you know, number eighty nine, and you knew there was only hundred <laughs> to go, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm nearly there. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> in the evenings, you know, I'll go downstairs, and my partner James will say to me, "Oh, have you finished your work?" And I'll be like. Yeah, I've I've finished my business, all done. And I look at him sarcastically like, no, I've never finished. I've just come down <laughs> <Ever>. to eat. <laughs> and don't ask me that stupid question ever again. <laughs> Hello, darling. Oh, isn't it lovely? I've just walked through the door from a lovely day at work here. Um, tell me, as a creative um, business owner, you have all these dreams, right? So you're standing next to your print. Stop and smell the roses. But if we just turn mm-hmm. the print around for a second, what is what are you thinking about the future um, for your business? There's so much more that we can do. I feel like we've done a lot. We've got uh, our line of sewing patterns. We've got our books, our online workshops. I've even dipped my toe in the water with fabric. But I feel like we're just getting started, really. I'd love to design more fabric. I, mm. You know, one of my dreams is to have a line of beautiful colorful sewing tools um i'd love to do just do more to get more people starting sewing so maybe collaborating with fashion brands and influencers um and eventually i'd love to do more to get kids into sewing as well oh yes oh my goodness you have only just started (laughs) so lovely to chat to you I know you've got a little one to get to, but at the end of these interviews, I like to use the analogy that running your own small business is like being on this epic roller coaster. Yours would be obviously hand-sewn, your cart, (laughs) and it would be beautiful. You'd have your two minis in the cart. But tell me, as that cart goes to the low of the roller coaster, what would you say was that moment in your business? I think something that I found really difficult was coming to terms with being a public persona when the sewing bee aired and being talked about online as if I was as if I wasn't a real person with feelings you know the producers they really tried to prepare us you had a session with a psychologist beforehand to check you could handle it you sent a document about you know not responding to trolls and all that and I thought that I was prepared as a blogger because you know you get criticized and stuff um but some people think it gives them free reign to publicly share opinions on you and not all of them are very nice. And for a little while there, I just wanted to curl up in a ball and never face the world again. But, you know, ultimately it did give me a thicker skin and it, and it spurred me on to to prove my critics wrong, really, and to, and to be successful. And that you have. And you wonder where these people are that have the time to <laughs> say negative comments. Conversely, um, your in the cart with the wind in your hair and and your greatest high in your business what would what would that be so i've definitely had lots of pinch me moments from getting books published and winning industry awards and just things like being on this podcast is amazing so i'm a big fan of it oh <laughs> um, thank you yeah. <laughs> but honestly i think the what makes me the most happiest is just seeing people all over the world from 
all backgrounds, ages, walks of life, proudly posing in something that they've made with one of our patterns or online workshops and hearing their feedback that our patterns have just helped them build their confidence mm. and made them realise that they can be creative again. Just, yeah, brings me so much joy. Oh, gosh, it's so nice to talk to you. I've been a huge fan of yours, as you know, for so, so long. And um, it's just been glorious for us to not be ill, have childcare, <laughs> um, have cups of tea in hand and be able to have this conversation. So thank you so much. And it's that time of the podcast where if, um, as you as you do listen to the podcast, it's your moment to read your letter to your younger self. And uh, it's my moment to take my glasses off and, and enjoy. Oh, thanks, Holly. Dear Tilly, it's future you here writing to you from the year 2021. I'm 12 years older than you are now, and it's funny to think that the me that is reading this has never used a sewing machine before and would never in a million years think that you'd be the person to start your own business. You also think of a face mask as that deep cleansing balm in your bathroom cabinet, but that's another story. Very soon, you're going to be sitting in the cinema watching Jane Campion's Bright Star, and at the opening shot of a needle going through fabric, you're going to decide on a whim to sign up for a sewing class. Just for fun, but spoiler alert, it's going to change your life. I don't want to give too much away, but when you spot a gap in the market, don't complain about it. Do something constructive about it. You're going to start something that will bring so much joy to you and people all over the world. It's going to be a wild ride with ups and downs, so here's some advice from older, wiser me. There have been many a time in your career when you've believed you didn't know what you were doing and that you were going to be found out. But I will let you into a secret that will change your life. No one knows what they're doing. Everyone else is making it up as they go along too. Once you realise this and embrace it, your confidence will grow, your career will know no limits and you will find so much fulfilment in building a dream brand. Share this secret with the women you work with too and tell them to pass it on. I don't need to tell you to get your head down and work hard if you want to achieve your goals because I know you will work hard, you always have done, but please remember to take a break and go outside sometimes too. You may think you can do everything yourself forever, but learn to let go, start trusting other people and you will build an amazing team who will help the business grow and inspire you with their creativity and camaraderie. When anxiety strikes and you feel like curling up into a ball, remember it will pass. You will feel better again. Choose joy over fear, curiosity over judgment. Steer clear of drama and hair pulling. And remember, you're a maker. Stay focused on what you can contribute to the world. Make cool things and share them. On a more personal note, don't let that fear of abandonment make you put your guard up and push people away. Open yourself up to love and nurture your amazing friendships. You might feel that a stable family life just isn't in your genes and at times you'll believe your body isn't capable of growing a child. But hang on in there because 41-year-old me is writing this with the sound of our gorgeous, most kissable baby boys playing in the background. For now, enjoy sleeping in after 5am as it's not going to happen again for a few years. But don't worry, the fun and laughter those little troubles bring will be more than worth it. Keep flossing and finally, learn to make flatbreads ASAP. All you have to do is mix self-raising flour with yoghurt, whack them in the frying pan. They taste so good, you'll wonder how you ever live without them. Trust me. So now, take a deep breath, go forth and start creating something amazing. Lots of love from me. <laughs> good for you. You are you are real um you're a real shining light and I I can tell 
that we're only seeing really the beginning, even though you've been doing this over a decade, um, just the beginning, and all your pain and journey that you've travelled to have to get here, um, it's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it because you're, um, yeah, well, you know you're loved. You've got such an amazing community. Holly and Co team are right behind you. And it is such an honour to have you on this podcast. And thank you so much for sharing that beautiful letter. Thank you, Tilly. Oh, thank you so much, Holly. As I said, I, I love your podcast. So I love hearing all the interviews that you have with really inspiring people. So being part of it is definitely a pinch me moment. Oh, thank you so much. Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.